And uh, this is one of the biographies of Jesus. I'll be speaking from this uh, at all our events, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, and there are some other events as well that are happening beyond that. But I'll be speaking from this biography of Jesus. I don't know if you've come across much from the New Testament. You might know that it kicks off with these four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, I love John. John is uh, one of the closest companions of Jesus and he writes with such simplicity but also profundity about who Jesus is. And uh, you might not believe that this is the Word of God or anything like that right now, but uh, it's probably helpful to know that this is the most read, most widely circulated piece of literature in human civilization. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? Even if you don't think it's God's Word, uh, this uh, document has actually founded civilizations, it has transformed billions of lives, it has built your world. So, before you even wonder, is this God's word or not, I think it, it deserves a bit of respect as we come to this ancient wisdom. And uh, what John will do is introduce us to the person of Jesus. And I don't know how you would go about uh, writing a biography of somebody. You, you might begin with their birth, you might begin with uh, the birth of their grandparents. That's probably as far back as you'd ever go. Uh, John's Gospel, if you notice on page one, actually begins before the world began. So already you're getting this notion on page one that Jesus is quite a cosmic figure. Uh, in order to paint Jesus properly, you have to paint him on a cosmic canvas. That's what John thinks. Anyway, I'm just going to read uh, the first paragraph of this, give you a little introduction to John's Gospel and the Jesus who John introduces. And I hope that this gives you a little taster for what's inside John. And this is our gift to you. You can take it home with you and, uh, and keep on reading. Or we've got some book clubs that I can tell you about where you can study John's Gospel a little bit more. But let me just read the, the first paragraph uh, of the most famous piece of literature in human civilization. Here we go. The Word became flesh, is the heading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, as I said earlier, part of my job is to go around and talk to people about Jesus. Most of the people I talk to aren't Christians at the moment, and so I, I get to interact with a lot of different uh, beliefs. And I've developed a couple of uh, rules of thumb when I'm talking to people. Uh, one rule of thumb is, if I'm speaking to people and they're over 65... Remember, I've got this one. Uh, if I speak to people and they're over 65 and they tell me they're a Christian, I don't believe them. Um, I'm not rude about it. I don't sort of poke them in the chest and say, prove it. Um, but it's just that 65 years ago, it was a lot simpler to pick out Christianity from a list of labels and to put it on and go out into the world, wasn't it? I mean, it was just a much more accepted thing to be. And there might not have been a lot of thoughts put into it 60 years ago. Right there. And you ask someone, are you a Christian? They say, of course I'm a Christian, I'm English. Oh, okay. And at that stage you start to realise, well maybe it's a more nominal kind of Christianity, maybe it's not so much a heartfelt conviction. So if somebody's over 65 and they tell me they're a Christian, I don't believe them yet. But I've got a second rule of thumb. And my second rule of thumb is, if somebody's under 35 and they tell me they're an atheist... I don't believe it. <laughs> Yet. Right? I've still got some questions, because it might just be a nominal atheism, mightn't it? You know? 
Because these days it's much simpler, isn't it, to pick out atheism as the label. And it, it seems like a very convenient label for a lot of where we're at as a culture. And so someone might well just pick it out from the shelf, slap it on, and walk out into the world. And I'm quite mischievous, really. So when somebody says, you know, they're an atheist, I quite often say, and what did you last pray for? And they said, actually, this weekend, my mother went on, you know, and, and they, they out themselves instantly, you know. And I just wonder whether sometimes atheism can be a lot more nominal than we tend to imagine. So if someone's over 65, they say they're a Christian. I don't believe them. If someone's under 35, they say they're an atheist. I don't believe them. Uh, I've always got a second question to ask. And the second question to ask is always, which God are we talking about? Right? You tell me you believe in God? Okay, that's interesting. Which God are we talking about? There are millions to choose from. You tell me you don't believe in God? Okay. Which God don't you believe in? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Which God don't you believe in? I ask my atheist friends that, and quite often they say to me, I just don't believe in God. You know, the big God. You know, God, you know, beard, I believe, thunderbolts, quite tetchy, bit of a perfectionist, and, you know, I I don't believe in that guy. And I I usually say, that sounds like Thor. (laughs) I don't believe in Thor. Which God don't you believe in? And, And if you tell me the God that you don't believe in, we might have a lot of common ground, actually. We might find that we both disbelieve in the same God. Which God are we talking about? Well, you might have noticed that John's Gospel here actually narrows us down on the God that we're talking about. Because according to John, God has a Word. Did you see that with a capital W in the first sentence? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Apparently, God has a communication. God has an expression. There is, there is something to God that wants to make himself known. And if you were to sort of uh, do a, a diagram of this, if you're into cartoons, you might sort of cartoon a throne that represented the presence, the power, the authority of God. And then coming up from the throne, you might just have a massive speech bubble. And the question is, what's inside the speech bubble? According to John Gospel, there is a person inside the speech bubble. There is a person who perfectly communicates God. It's word with a capital W. And the good news that John wants to give to us is that that person is Jesus. He is the explanation of God. He is the communication of God. He is what God wants to say to us. If you are doubting that the the word is Jesus, look on down to verse 14. Look at number 14, refers to verse 14. And two-thirds down the page, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word is Jesus. And according to John, Jesus did not just found a religion. According to John, Jesus founded the universe. He was there before the world began, the eternal Son of the Father. And when he came to planet Earth at Christmas, that was not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus is older than the universe. Before there was a universe, Jesus was always the Son of God, who always called on a Father and was filled with grace and truth. John will go on to to speak about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this third person that John's Gospel tells us about. According to the Bible, before there was anything, there was love. There was a family of love and light and life. That's what there was before the world began. 
And this world has come from love and light and life. To the point where later on in John's Gospel, he's, he's going to actually be praying to his father. And he says, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's quite a thing for a human being to say, isn't it? According to Jesus, he was there before the world began, and the Father was always loving him. There was always a Niagara Falls of love crashing down on the head of the Son. The Father loving the Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. So, which gods do you believe in? Which God don't you believe in? According to Christianity, God is a fountain of light and life and love. And Jesus comes into this world, the Son from that family becomes our brother to show us the true nature of God. And you might have noticed in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, writes John. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when John clapped eyes on Jesus, he saw this remarkable combination of grace and truth. That's what it looks like when God shows up. It looks like the, the intersection of grace and truth in a single person. I don't know if you can think of a person full of grace. Think of someone who's just full of sweetness and kindness and forgiving love. Think about such a person. And now think about someone who's full of truth. Just a real truth teller, straight shooter, doesn't sugarcoat, tells it like it is, like a northerner or something, or an Australian, right? Think of someone who's a truth teller. Think of someone who's full of grace. And you probably imagine quite different people, Who is Jesus? He is this incredible combination of grace and truth, and truth and grace. It's quite a remarkable combination. I I remember aged about 20, 21, reading through the Gospels, and encountering the grace and truth of Jesus, and just being captivated by by the personality of Jesus. And I got to the point where I sort of of said to myself, look, if, if this is what God's like, I'm in. Because prior to that, I had a distant notion of God. I would have called myself a believer in God, but that never did it for me. It was, it was never a particularly warm or energizing thought to imagine some kind of higher power. I, I, I don't know if that's a helpful thought to you. Maybe it's a helpful thought to you, but just I'm not wired that way. I don't really connect with the idea of a higher power. I don't really, I don't really like the idea of some kind of God. That's just not how I'm wired, you know. Um, the idea of some kind of God is like asking me, you know, would I like to be married to a carbon-based biped? You know, I'm thinking, you know, be more specific, right? <laughs> the idea of a carbon-based biped does not capture my heart. Emma has captured my heart. You know, that person. And it's the same with Jesus. You know, the, the idea that there is some kind of God never particularly did it for me. And, and, and perhaps the Christians in this room, some of them might have been warmed to the idea of God before they became a Christian. Some of them might not have warmed to the idea about God. But I, I describe myself as a bit like the woman who's been dead against marriage her whole life. And then she meets Mr. Wright. And she gets married. And, you know, why did she get married? Does she now believe in marriage? Like, not so much. She believes in him. And he's captivated her. He's kind of converted her to marriage, if you like. And it's the same with me and God. I've never warmed to the idea of some kind of God, but I've met a guy, right? Mr. Light. And I've seen how full of grace and truth he is. And I've thought to myself what Lord Byron, the poet, thought back in the 19th century. He said, if God is not like Jesus Christ, he ought to be. It's quite a good line, isn't it? If God's not like Jesus Christ, he ought to be. 
And John's Gospel is here to say, good news, people. God is entirely and exactly like Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the Word of God. I just want to introduce you to some of the grace and truth of Jesus from this document, and I hope that it gives you a flavor for who Jesus is, and you'll take this away with you, and you'll read for yourself, and see if you don't encounter the same grace and truth. Now, just turn to page five, or page four, and you'll see the big number two means chapter two, and I just want to point out a couple of headings here so you can orient yourself in this book. Um, do you know what the first miracle of Jesus was? Quite famous. Uh, chapter 2, Jesus changes water into wine. Do you know this story? It's the very first miracle that Jesus does. And in John's Gospel, the miracles aren't really called miracles. They're called signs because they point to Jesus through nature. And so what is it? You know, when God shows up, how is he going to point to his true nature? Well, he shows up at a party that's flagging. They've run out of wine, and Jesus brings the wine. He brings a lot of wine. It's the equivalent of 800 bottles worth of the stuff. God shows up at the party, and he brings wine. He turns the water into wine. Which God do you believe in? Which God don't you believe in? Now, many of my atheist friends, the God they don't believe in is the sort of God who would show up at the party and turn the wine back into the water, right? <laughs> And at that stage, I'm with them, right? <laughs> but here is, here is God, and he shows up at the party, and the first thing he does to establish his character before the world, he brings a lot of wine to the party. And then you might notice the next heading, across on page 5, Jesus clears the temple courts. We're almost meant to get the sense that Jesus has just left the party behind you, and he goes into the temple, which is the holiest-looking place on planet Earth. And you can imagine all the, the religious authorities walking around in their long flowing robes, looking like they've just you know, sucked chili off a thistle, looking very pious and that sort of thing. And Jesus is outraged by the religious hypocrisy he sees. I don't know if you're outraged by religious hypocrisy. Probably not as much as Jesus, okay? Because he goes into the temple, he sees the hypocrisy, and he starts to weave a whip out of cord so he can drive the animals out and turns the, the, the money changers uh, tables over and he moves around the furniture. This is an interesting God, don't you think? He goes to the party and he brings wine. He goes to the temple and he brings a whip. This is an interesting God. This is a very interesting God. I don't know what you believe about gods, but could you start to believe in this God? He's full of grace and truth, you see? Grace in the party, truth in the temple. And then over page chapter 3, uh, you'll see Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Nicodemus was this high-flying religious authority. Uh, he's written about uh, elsewhere outside the Bible as well. He was a very rich, righteous, respectable, religious ruler. And uh, Jesus says to him, you've got to be born again. You heard that phrase? You might have heard about born-again Christianity. That's an interesting topic for another time. But here in chapter 3, this is where Jesus uses the line. He says it to, to, let's imagine him as this 40-year-old guy on top of the heap. And he says, you've got to be born again. You've got to start all over, right? Everything you've done in the last 40 years does not count with heaven. It might count on earth, it doesn't count with heaven. You've got to be born again. That's, that's pretty offensive, don't you think? That is truth to prick the bubble of the proud. That's what you see Jesus doing throughout this gospel. You'll see him encountering the proud and he brings them down with the truth. And then the very next person who he encounters on the next page, chapter 4, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. 
you couldn't think of a more different person for Jesus to encounter next. And she is this woman who all his disciples thought she was the wrong gender. She was the wrong nationality, she was the wrong religion, she was the wrong lifestyle. She's just wrong, 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 wrong. And Jesus just unloads heaven's richest blessings on her. He just offers her the living waters of his Holy Spirit instantly for free and forever. He's just so effusive, so full of grace. So those at the bottom, he's just full of grace. Those at the top, he's full of truth. He's just truth and grace and grace and truth. And then you get to the end of John's Gospel and... Spoiler alert, it's been 2,000 years. I, th- I think I can kind of give away <laughs> The ending is, God shows up. And what do we do with God? The Word of God is spoken. What do we do? We silence the Word. That's a shock, isn't it? The fountain of life appears. What do we do? We kill life. Right? God shows up. And we condemn Him as a heretic. It's deeply ironic, isn't it? God shows up and we find him to be inconvenient. That's a word that was used by a student recently. And I, I said to them, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if God showed up and, and, and he walked around planet Earth full of grace and truth? Wouldn't it be amazing to get to know God if he came down like that? She said, no, it would be really inconvenient. I said, what do you mean inconvenient? She said, I just want to live my life the way I want to live my life. God might get in the way. It would be really inconvenient if God showed up. Well... She's just being honest, isn't she? That's, that's, the, that's the cry of all our hearts. You know, even me as a, as a Christian today, if, if someone asks me, who's got the right to tell you what to do, Blake? There's a big bit in my heart that just rises up and says, no one. No one's got the right to tell me what to do. Shut off, God. <laughs> and, and that's what has happened historically. It happened historically. It happened in our hearts. And so Jesus dies on that cross. And he's telling the truth about humanity as he dies. The truth about humanity is that we want to shut God up. But then you look again at the cross and you see the grace, don't you? Because what does Jesus do when he sees us lost in a pit of darkness? What what does he see us? What what does he do when he sees us lost in the darkness and death and disconnection of this world? You know what he does? He plunges in. He joins us in that darkness. The Bible says that we have turned from the light of God. When you turn from light, you go to darkness, right? And we've, we've turned from love, and when you turn from love, where do you go except disconnection? And we've turned from life, and when you turn from life, where do you go except death? And this is the world that we're in, a world of darkness and death and disconnection. But Jesus, full of love, says, your pit will be my pit, and your darkness will be my darkness, your debts will be my debts. So he plunges down into our darkness and he dies on that cross full of grace because he's taking our debts. What grace? What a God. Reminds me of when I got married to my wife. I uh, uh, got married to my wife, I guess, 15 years ago now and uh, we said these vows to one another as we were exchanging uh, our rings. We said, all that I am I give to you and all that I have I share with you. And as we said these vows, we were fresh out of university and all our friends were laughing their heads off. It wasn't polite church laughter. People were really, all that you have, Glenn, you're going to give to her. Yeah, all those student loan repayments. That's very generous of you. And Emma said it back to me. All her student loan repayments became money. We just merged debts, basically. That's all we did. But what about this? If the Son of the Father comes down to us, 
And if we're full of debts and he's full of riches, what would happen if we became one? What would happen if we got united together? Because the Bible talks about Jesus being our bridegroom. Jesus in this book talks about being our bridegroom. So if we get married to him, if you like, what happens? Well, all our debts go to him and all his riches come to us. Well, that's good news, don't you think? All our debts, all that darkness, all that rebellious heart that cries out against God, all those debts go to Jesus and he pays them off in full on the cross. And then he rises up again and he says, all my riches are yours. I've taken your darkness, do you want my light? I've taken your disconnection, do you want my love? I've taken your death, do you want my life? It's for free and it's forever. Which God do you believe in? Is this a God you can believe in? The Jesus God. Because that's what we're on about here. We're not on about introducing you to some kind of religious philosophy or signing you up to some kind of religious institution. I'm not interested in that. The Christians who are here are not interested in that. But we do, we've, we've met a guy, right? We've met Mr. Wright. Okay? And, and we think he's insanely good. And the Christians in this room will tell you, look, if God's like this, we're in. We'll jump in with both feet. We'll say, all that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death when we meet. That's the Christian message. Now, what do you want to do with that? One thing you can do with that is uh, pick up this John's Gospel and keep on reading. And I often recommend saying to people, you know what, why don't you shoot up a prayer as you read you might not believe in God right now, but that's okay. It's, it's a no-lose proposition. Okay? Here I am in the city. I'm giving you a no-lose proposition. Okay? <laughs> Just shoot up a prayer and say, God, if this is real, show me. If Jesus is your word, your explanation, show me. No-lose proposition. If he's not there, he's not going to answer. But if he is there, wouldn't it be insanely good to meet the Jesus God? So pick up this. Shoot up a prayer. And, uh, and if you'd like to read together with others, we've got these book clubs called uh, Word One-to-One. And you can start a book club with a work colleague, perhaps over a lunch. Uh, you can pick up John's Gospel, and there are just some questions that uh, will help frame the discussion. And you can work through, chapter by chapter, as you encounter this Jesus figure. But I really commend him to you. I don't know which God you believe in. I don't know which God you don't believe in. But did you believe in this God, the Jesus God? Thanks so much for your time.